Good evening, and welcome once again to Your Legal Rights on KALW 91.7 FM, San Francisco Bay Area. I'm your host, Jeff Hayden, and tonight we're happy to present a program on landlord-tenant law, the last for 2022. It's tragic to think that even as we enter the holiday season, some face eviction or habitability issues. Can and will the state help? The last time we ran this program, we were looking at a massive budget surplus. Suddenly, we're now looking at a deficit in the coming year. Meanwhile, it seems a few folks on each side, that means landlords and tenants alike, some of them figured out, or seemingly figured out, how to game the system. Small mom-and-pop landlords are deprived of income. The statewide pandemic moratorium on eviction due to non-residential, due to residential non-payment of rent has ended for most of us. However, in some areas, a landlord can't get an eviction case before a court. The question I pose tonight is where does all this leave us? Where are landlords and tenants right now? As always in a landlord-tenant broadcast, there's a lot to talk about. There's a lot going on. We have just the right guests with us tonight. As with any landlord-tenant broadcast, there's much to discuss, and here's your opportunity to get in on the conversation and ask us your questions. Our phone number right here is 415-841-4134. Again, that's 415-841-4134. If you're outside of the San Francisco Bay Area, call us toll-free at 866-798-8255. That's 866 798 8255. And please bear in mind that our attorney guests can't provide you with precise legal advice as they don't have all the facts relating to your given case. However, we're happy to pass along the legal principles to assist and guide you in your decision making. And the legal guidance mightn't be the positions of their employers or their clients, but again, they're here to help. Our phone number right here again, 415-841-4134. If you're outside of the San Francisco Bay Area, 866 798-8255. Joining us tonight, for some 20 years, San Francisco landlord-tenant attorney Jessica Chalik represents clients in rent board actions, mediations, and in court for landlord-tenant issues. Jessica launched her practice to specialize in San Francisco residential evictions, vacancy agreements, and rent board petitions for tenants, landlords, master tenants, and subtenants. And also joining us tonight, San Mateo attorney David Finkelstein, a graduate of NYU School of Law. David is admitted to practice in the states of California and New York, beginning his career as a staff attorney in California for the National Housing Law Project at Bolt Hall Law School. David has been representing clients in real estate and landlord-tenant matters for some 40 years. David's published articles on about protection for renters during the COVID-19 crisis. And David, Jessica, welcome to your legal rights. Thank you, Jeff. Good to be here again. Yes, nice to be here, and thank you. So I guess the big question, before we go further, is where are we right now? Are people still able to game it? Can landlords or tenants get get their cases before the courts these days? Well, I I'm not the right one to speak for San Francisco. I think Jessica will speak to that. But as far as um, 
San Mateo and Santa Clara, I think it's becoming uh, a, a much better, uh, much more even uh, between uh, landlords and tenants. However, there is a, a sort of a, um, a, a really bad spot uh, in the country, and uh, that is in Alameda County, where my office is getting calls weekly from uh, both small mom and pops and some mid-sized landlords as well, not understanding. They tell me, I have a tenant who stopped paying four months ago, six months ago. He goes to work every day, and and it, I can't, I can't do anything. I can't get him out because there's a moratorium in the county of Alameda against evictions, except for health and safety. And there is also no corresponding provision anymore for the landlord to get reimbursed from any governmental entity. So uh, there are two suits in Alameda County. Um, that are, uh, my understanding is that they're pending a motion for summary judgment, which has been heard um, and is supposed to be decided before the end of the year as to the constitutionality of that moratorium without any compensation to the landlords. And so we'll just waiting and seeing if it's going to be decided that that violates uh, or is a taking without due process of the landlord's uh, property. And and for our listeners, a motion for summary judgment, as David just mentioned, is in a civil case when one side is arguing, or perhaps both sides are arguing, that there's nothing in dispute to go to trial. You need to decide it based on the evidence that's undisputed. Jessica, how about San Francisco? Can a landlord get in in front of a court? Sure. At this point, yes, they can. Um, San Francisco has been accepting new cases for some time. Uh, However, the city council has enacted an ordinance that allows uh, tenants to raise a defense of COVID-19 financial hardship, um, even though the state protection has expired. So that, or COVID-19 related it's a COVID-19 related defense, basically that part that the pandemic is causing what is the root of whatever the problem is that the eviction is based on. So yes, it is, it is possible to get uh, an eviction case filed in San Francisco, depending on the particular facts of the case, the COVID defense may or may not help the tenant. So it, but it is possible. I've had several cases that have gone to settlement conferences with, you know, trial dates if we didn't settle. Let me take a call from John in Berkeley. You're on the air. Welcome to your legal rights. John, are you still with us? Or did we lose you? John, if you're still listening, feel free to call us back. It looks as though we lost your call, but we're happy to take it when you're back. In the meantime... Let me ask you, too, has the state completely withdrawn from the landlord-tenant arena? It seems that with a state budget deficit for the first time in the last few years anyway, um, is rental assistance something that's under threat, and is the state still involved? Well, 
the state actually withdrew as of the end of March this year, and um, or that was the, when tenants could and landlords could apply for state assistance on the non-payment of rent issue. Uh, the state, I mean, there are state laws about eviction. There always have been, but the pandemic relief had mostly they have backed off of that. Um, if there's funds to be distributed, they have the obligation to distribute those funds, but no new applications are being accepted. So I've been asked to follow up with a statement you made a moment ago about a COVID-19 defense. Um, you mentioned that COVID can be asserted as a defense. If a tenant prevails in showing the court that COVID-19 contributed to their inability to pay some or all of their rent, what does that get them? Does it mean that they can stay indefinitely? Well, um, generally it means that they have to, usually it's come up with some sort of payment plan. There's, you, you know, um, they can assert the defense if it's found that there was a, a, that there was sufficient basis there. It's the same as a retaliation or discrimination defense. If, if, those are proven, then the eviction case is um, denied. Um, however, that doesn't necessarily mean the people don't owe the rent. It just means that there is another recourse. Usually, uh, there's state has provided the rules for, uh, for small claims court have been changed to allow landlords to file uh, COVID-related non-payment of rent cases there as breach of contract cases. That means that um, in an eviction case, possession is an issue. Uh, but in the small claims breach of contract cases, uh, possession is not an issue. It's just usually in the form of a landlord suing for back rent or perhaps a tenant suing for lack of services provided that were supposed to be provided for the rent they paid. Right. Right. And I think the uh, can't uh, Jessica can't the landlord still go to small claims court even if his claim is over ten thousand dollars. Yes, that is still in place, at least to my knowledge, it is. Right. So that's a remedy uh, for the small mom and pop uh, or, or even the bigger landlords. They don't have to hire an attorney. They could go to small claims court with no attorneys. Right. Those are fill-in-the-blank forms that are available at the court website. Um, and honestly, a, a judgment in small claims court is can be pursued in the same way as any other judgment. You can do the work to garnish their wages or, you know, levy against their bank accounts, subject to those sorts of collection issues. But yeah, So that might be an option for a landlord who can't get possession in an unlawful detainer eviction type case. They may be able to get a judgment for the money and have other options for collecting. Or leveraging possession by virtue of getting a money judgment. Uh, how do you mean? I'm not sure I'm following where you're going. A tenant who has some financial ability to make, to satisfy a judgment but they've been not paying their rent, may have some incentive to settle with the landlord and give the unit oh. back. 
I see what you're saying. I, I suppose that's a possibility. Vacancy is something that can be negotiated in a settlement. Exactly what I was having in mind. You know, we talked a little bit about rent control in San Francisco. San Francisco's had rent control for a long time. Seems to me that after COVID, there have been talk of rent control, which surfaces in a lot of areas periodically. What's the current status? Have more local cities and counties enacted some form of rent control? I, yeah, I, I would say that the uh, my understanding is that the state uh, statute for that established rent control in 2019 um, allows the local municipalities to have um, uh, a more strict uh, um, rent control if they want, and I think there's been some some uh, municipalities that have had that. I don't. I can't give you the specifics of which one. I don't know. Maybe Jessica can speak to that. Uh, my practice is mainly focused in San Francisco, so I, I don't know specifically the new municipalities. There have been. Jessica, you cut out momentarily, so let me jump oh. in and and see if I can yeah. help out. Um, yeah, you. You brought up the state rent control issues, and you're referring to the California Tenant Protection Act of 2019. And Correct. Some would say that is rent control, but I guess let's take a step back. Um, this is, of course, AB 1482. And I would ask both of you, what does it actually do? It's, uh, well, my, you know, my... Um, my understanding of it is as far as the rent control, it establishes each county has um, um, a uh, percentage um, of, for example, like I believe in San Mateo, uh, it's uh, a maximum is 5% uh, over, can't be more than 5% over the uh, annuals cost uh, CPI increase. Uh, so if this, so in this case, that's quite generous. But uh, other other counties could have make it less than five percent. Um, and um, I still, I am I think that there is an overall limit of ten percent. Uh, uh, based on the pandemic not being completely lifted, that there is a, a governor's emergency order that doesn't allow increases more than 10%. So my my clients ask me, I'll say, despite the fact that uh, CPI might be 8% and you could go five over, I would not go over 10% because of, uh, of the governor's restriction uh, by uh, the pandemic uh, restriction, I, I don't believe has been lifted. I don't, Jessica. What do you think about that? Uh, I, I think you're talking about the uh, state law that is anti-price yeah. gouging that limits yes. uh, increases to ten percent in times of an emergency when there's a state of emergency declared. And That's right. The, and the uh, governor Newsom has not yet 
uh, rescinded all of the COVID-19 pandemic restrictions. My understanding is they're set to expire at the end of February, but uh, it, it, I don't know if there's going to be any interest in the legislature, which we have an, a, a lot of new folks coming in the legislature after the last elections. So um, there may be some interest in extending that. I don't know if there will be. I don't know if there'll be any lobbying to the uh, governor about that. So anyway, what I tell my clients is despite the fact whatever your county allows, whether four or five or three over the CPI, and that might be more than 10%, but I always tell my clients don't go over 10%. You don't want to be involved in some kind of class action to get the monies back uh, that could be very detrimental to you. Uh, I believe that, and I can't point you to it uh, exactly that some municipalities have um, limited the increase uh, uh, much lower, like 3% a year or even less. Uh, but I, I can't give you the specifics uh, on it, though, right now. What types of housing are covered? By the uh, Tenant Protection Act of 2019? Yes. Well... The, the housing has to have existed for at least 15 years, and the tenants have to be there at least one year. Uh, and the landlord, and it, uh, you know, it, it doesn't, so anything that was constructed within the last 15 years is exempt. Um, if there are units that are um, restricted by something in a deed or something like that, um, it, those would be exempt as well. Uh, the two unit properties um, where the second unit was occupied by an owner for the entire period of the tenancy and um, single family homes and condos are exempt only if uh, they're not owned by a, a real estate trust, a corporation or an LLC with a corporate member and the landlord notified the tenant in writing timely. Yeah. That is a big catch-22 because, I, I mean, um, at least in my jurisdiction, the ones that, that I, cases that I get, the overwhelming majority by more than 95% of who owns a single-family house is a, a mom and pop. And it was usually their residence and they moved somewhere else uh, or downsized and uh, leasing out the old family home. And they don't know about that they were supposed to have uh, uh, given uh, a notice to the tenant that it's exempt. Uh, so I always say whenever, whenever you do an addendum, amendment, or renew a lease, and certainly any new tenant that you have with a new lease, you tell them in writing, that it's exempt and there's, you know, certain very simple statutory language that it's exempt. Um, uh, and, uh, but if they hadn't done it, and I think there was a date that they were supposed to have done it by, I think it was like August, 2020 or something like that. Uh, I would say uh, probably 90% of the single family house owners that are renting out their house did not do it. 
And I, I just can't believe that a judge is going to enforce that against some mom and pop. Um, and uh, because they didn't have an, an attorney uh, and they, they could have had a tenant in place, maybe for five years, maybe for 10 years. But they didn't tell him that it was exempt. In, in, uh, but anyway, that that is specifically what the law says, but I always advise the mom and pops to send a notice now or whenever they change the terms in any way to send a notice. Whether that will hold up, I haven't had any case that went to court. I don't know if you've had anything, Jessica, that went to court. No, nothing that's gone to court. It came up in a discussion of a of a vacancy discussion, uh, you know, a buyout discussion. Uh, that the landlord hadn't given the notice, and so the unit wasn't, you know, the single-family home wasn't exempt. At least on the tenant's assertion, you know, the landlord asserted that it was. We know this act limits rent increases, but was it retroactive in scope? I mean, are there some landlords that if they follow this act, they actually have to roll back rents? I'm not aware of anything like that. David? <clears throat> I, I'm not aware that it applies retroactively to prior years. I don't think so. No, I, I think that would be, uh, to use the legal term, ex post facto, and I don't think that would be allowed. So um, <clears throat> as far as rolling back any rents, the other part of the uh, Tenant Protection Act of 2019 um, provides eviction protection for the same kinds of folk as well. So, uh, you know, there has to be just cause eviction. Let me turn it to Emily from San Carlos. Emily, welcome to legal to your legal rights. Hi there. Emily, welcome. You're on the air. Yeah, I just had a question. Um, there's quite a lot of backstory, but long story short, my, my landlord, myself, and the building were on um, a protective order against somebody, and I have since dropped that protection order, the restraining order against that person. Can my landlord now um, evict me, <laughs> if that let, makes any sense? Let me ask you a couple of questions just to clarify it. Um, this is something recent, or it's quite some time ago that these nuisances you, that you mentioned took place? Um, the nuisances for the protective order um, took place with like a year ago, maybe six months ago. And over six months ago, they took place. And then, you know, it was probably like over the span of a couple months. Okay, but no. I recently got myself off the protective order, but the building and the landlord are still on it, and I'm worried that she's going to evict me now. I don't know if she has cause to. Does this have the effect that the person involved can remain in contact with you, but can't come anywhere near the building? Is that what you're describing? Yes, that's exactly what I'm describing. Before, he couldn't have any contact with me, her, or the building. But now I'm allowed to have contact with him, but he still can't come near the building or her. But I think she's pretty upset that I 
dropped the order. Well, I mean, that's your that's a personal conduct order, and that's up to you. If you want to meet with this person elsewhere than her property, right. then the landlord should not have any real say in that. And I don't right. think it, because it's so long ago, I don't think it's a basis for eviction. Um, okay. Eviction cases are, prop, are you know, the legal term is uh, unlawful detainer. And um, they are summary proceedings, and they're meant to return possession to the landlord due to a, basically a breach of the lease and, uh, for some basis or you know, some other just cause reason. And the fact that it is so long, that it's more than six months ago that these events underlying the restraining orders happened exactly probably not going to fly in unlawful detainer land. Okay. I, I agree. Um, uh, even in San Mateo County, which is a little bit more landlord uh, oriented than San Francisco, or a lot more oriented to the landlord than San Francisco, uh, my experience, is, which is mainly in San Mateo County, is that judges will not evict for an incident that happened six months or longer, uh, they want something immediate that's uh, a clear and present danger to the landlord or to other tenants. Um, right. Okay. Not, that's good. Notwithstanding that, I would I strongly urge you not to uh, bring uh, your uh, friend uh, back into the building because no, no, I would not do that. That would be raising a red flag in front of the bowl there, and you're going to cause yourself problems. Well, yeah, uh, and, and him as well. So he, because he's there's this, the order still stands. Like I said, yeah, you know, he can't come I, I, 100 feet within the building. But, but as far you know, as whether I, the I, land, landlady could evict you for the events underlying the restraining order, I think too much time has passed. Okay, that's great news. Okay. Mind you, I will warn you, you know, okay. people sue everybody and each other for all kinds okay. of reasons, whether there's a basis or not. So, I mean, I could right. sue you for punching me in the face, but even though we've never met, that would just, you know, it, it might make your life difficult for the next few weeks yeah. until the judge tells us that. Okay. Yeah. Talking Thank about you. that, uh, uh, a number of years ago when, uh, um, the local representative here in San Mateo was Representative Tom Lantos, and I was his legal counsel on on certain on local stuff. And he came to me. Someone sued him in federal court in Sacramento, claiming he and uh, uh, and some other uh, persons uh, were part of a worldwide conspiracy uh, to take over uh, our government and. Uh, and uh, uh, so anybody can sue anything. It turned out in that case, before I made my motion to dismiss, the judge, the uh, federal judge in Sacramento dismissed the case on his own motion. I didn't even have to make the motion. But as uh, Jessica said, anybody can file and sue anybody for anything. Right. Yeah. I get that. Emily, thank you for joining us. And you're welcome to to come back anytime if we can be of help. And thank you for joining yes. us in your legal rights. Thank you so much. And 
we have about a half a minute or so before we break for station ID. We were talking about the California Tenant Protection Act of 2019. And the one thing we didn't get to is, does this affect evictions? It yes. Does. Yes. You have to have just cause for eviction. And, uh, <clears throat> and, uh, in, um, so the situation sure. Emily described seems yeah. to fall right under this protection, whereas it used to be you could do it for whatever reason you want, as long as it's not a bad reason. It sounds like now you have to have, per se, you have to have just cause to evict a tenant. That's well, right. And in, in, in quite a number of jurisdictions have an, enacted uh, uh, relocation ordinances. So even if you have just cause, well, you can't do it without just cause, but even if you have just cause... In certain jurisdictions like Redwood City and others, you might have to pay, uh, depending on, on your age and whether you're married and you have children, you might have to pay up to three times. And it's not the three times the actual rent that the landlord may have to pay, plus a $1,000 moving, but it's three times some um a uh, hypothetical rent that's published every year um, on a uh, uh, from the government, from the state government, and um, so if the you know if the unit is four thousand a month and it's a let's say a two bedroom for four thousand a month, um, and you fall into the just cause, you might still have to pay that tenant three times that amount. That's that's twelve thousand plus a thousand um, uh, moving costs. You might have to pay thirteen thousand to evict a tenant, for example, in Redwood City, even if you have just cause. So, uh, and that's happening more and more in local uh, uh, municipalities. You're listening to Your Legal Rights on KALW ninety one point seven FM in San Francisco. We'll be back right after this. Support for KALW is provided by the Bar Association of San Francisco. If you live in San Francisco or Marin County, the Bar Association's Lawyer Referral Service can arrange for you to meet with an attorney experienced in the area of law related to your situation. Call 415-989-1616 or visit sfbar.org for more information. You're listening to Your Legal Rights on KALW 91.7 FM, San Francisco Bay Area. We're talking about whether the state's withdrawn from the eviction arena. It appears it has. Where do landlords and tenants stand today? Tonight's guests, David Finkelstein and Jessica Chilek, are amongst the best landlord-tenant attorneys in the region. If you have questions for my guests, our phone number is 415 841 4134. Again, that's 415-841-4134. If you're outside of the San Francisco Bay Area, call us toll-free at 866-798-8255. That's 866-798-8255. And as always, you can call regarding any question on tonight's topic. You don't have to jump in exactly where we may be in our conversation. We want to hear your questions. We're inviting you as you are our most important guest. So call us toll-free at 866-798-8255. 
I've asked you this the last couple of shows, but for a long time, we're coming out of the pandemic. We're certainly coming out of the pandemic uh, protections for from eviction. And a lot of tenant advocates had long predicted, long feared a great flood of evictions that would follow the eviction moratorium. In the last couple shows since that moratorium ended, didn't seem like that had materialized, but that was then. And this is now. So let me ask, did that much-feared rush to the courthouse ever materialize? I can't say that it has for my office. Um, San Francisco as a whole may be slightly different, but I, I'm not seeing a lot of them. I, what I am seeing is more um, people are asking for the uh, notices of, for eviction pr- process. They're asking for the not you know the the non-payment of rent notice or the notice of breach of contract or something like that. So that uh, and then the tenants are responding within the time frame, so that it doesn't actually get filed in court. How about you? I'm finding similar kind of things. We are certainly uh, busier than we were during the pandemic when the moratorium was all over the Bay Area. But uh, uh, I don't think we've gone back to previous highs of uh, evictions. Uh, I I think uh, the pandemic may be responsible for that, that maybe there's more uh, willingness on the part of the landlords to negotiate with the tenant and maybe um, offer some kind of a voluntary uh, relocation amount for them to move rather than uh, engage in the eviction process. And I am seeing a lot more three-day notices, but it doesn't go to the actual eviction case, like Jessica said. So it gets resolved before that time. Well, I know, at least in San Francisco, if a tenant gets a non-payment of rent notice, there are nonprofits who often help with uh, paying off those rent debts if the tenant can show that they're going to be able to pay the rent going forward. But uh, they require the three-day notice in order to be able to help. That's right. Paul from San Francisco, you're on the air. Welcome to your legal rights. Hi, I'm Paul. Am Paul, I welcome. On? Oh, good. Hey, thank you. So, hey, uh, I've got a question about an in-law in SF, and uh, the scenario is uh, I've come about a home here with a, with a complete in-law downstairs, you know, typical setup. It is not legal or it's not permitted, and I, I wouldn't... I, I'm considering renting it. Uh, however, um, and you know, I, I, I want to abide by uh, SF's uh, rent board and the rent control regulations, but I want to know if there are any caveats I should be concerned with because it is not a permitted uh, legal um, <laughs> dwelling. So are there any gotchas I should be concerned with? Well, from a very basic point of view, if it is not a permitted unit and it doesn't meet state requirements for habitability, like, you know, ceiling height and things like that, a number of bathrooms, kitchen, whatever, 
if it doesn't meet those requirements, then it is technically illegal to rent it. And if a tenant does rent it and pays rent, they may have a claim for a, a reduction or potentially a refund of some of that rent. There's um, some case law out there, not from the California Supreme Court, but there's some case law out there that says that, you know, um, a, a, voidable, a, a void contract, a, a, a contract for a, an unpermitted property is a void contract and should not be honored. So, you know, but that's out of L.A. It's not controlling in San Francisco itself. The San Francisco Planning Department does have a program to um, permit ADUs. Um, so existing, I, I, have, I have heard of that process. It's pre, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm somewhat aware of that. Thank you. Yeah, I would say um, down here on the peninsula where I am in San Mateo, Redwood City, there's been a whole change. Um, Years ago, I I would get calls from landlords saying um, they had a a, a notice um, to cease and desist from the uh, uh, health department because they were renting their garage. Nowadays, I get calls saying uh, the uh, the inspector came out and he gave me the forms and he's telling me how to apply for an ADU and how easy it is would be to convert. So there's been a whole attitude change from the cities to help people convert their garages or other spaces to ADUs. Um, at least that's what I'm finding. Okay, and, and that would be grandfather. In this case, it would be grandfathering. And the other uh, respondent, uh, she explained that there was, uh, you know, ceiling height issues. Well, this is it's eight foot. It's uh, I, I'm sure there's a whole litany of, uh, you know, um, uh, criteria. Sure. Um, so uh, sure. maybe maybe a better question, uh, or or to take it a little farther, is that. If I were to rent a room in the home, you know, in the in the uh, recognized uh, square footage of the home, or you know, the permitted area of the home, um, what would my, as a landlord, now I'm, of course you know I'm I'm looking at it from that perspective. Uh, I, I am concerned about uh, evictions and um, my rights as a landlord, so. Am I in a better or worse position renting the in-law, which is unpermitted, or renting a uh, uh, bedroom, you know, shared amongst myself um, in the permitted area of the home? Okay. Well, I, I think you're possibly in a better position if you rent out a bedroom in the main home, if you live in the space and you share, like, kitchen or bathroom or, or things like that with your tenant and, in the main space. And that is that is the scenario. I, I do occupy, and it would be, uh, it would be a shared uh, area. Yeah, and in San Francisco, as long as the landlord doesn't rent to more than one tenant, you know, if you had six bedrooms, you could only rent out one of them, uh, or even if you only had three bedrooms, you know, you could only rent out one to one tenant, then it is there's an exception in the San Francisco Just Cause Ordinance 
um, for a, a, a single tenant li living in the unit with the landlord. It's called a lodger. And lodger. Um, it is exempted. Yeah. And it is, it is exempted from the San Francisco rent ordinance. Okay. A lodger. Wow. That, that, that's, that's good info. Um, you, you did say one person, one person in one room, you know, uh, regardless of the Whoa. amount of uh, rooms in the, in the property. So, um, well, you, when you I, say I mean, one person, one, does that mean one household or one person? You can only get one rent payment. Okay. Well, this, okay, a, a little farther, the scenario would be if, uh, if I rent that other room in the house uh, to a, you know, husband and wife or, you know, a, a partnership, a couple. Would that same lodger rule apply? If they're only paying one rent, if you have a joint tenancy in there, then yes, I think it would. Okay, so it, it's called it a lodge, lodger. To, okay. Um, not if he rented to two different uh, unrelated people and he was getting two checks. I don't think they would be lodgers anymore. No. Oh, okay. No, but they wouldn't. They, I, I, I'm imagining, you know, two persons cohabiting the same room, you know, uh, uh, you know, partners, couple, uh, a couple, so to speak. Yeah. As, okay. You know, as long as there's one written rental agreement and there's one rent payment that covers both of them. Uh, okay. I'll look, I'll, I'll dig further. Uh, and that's called a lodger. Is there any, uh, is there any, uh, you know, title or, uh, chapter or verse, uh, uh, that I should, uh, um, there, there is, there is, this, uh, and I can't, uh, maybe Jessica can give you the exact section, but there is a section on lodges uh, that uh, is exempt from uh, the 60-day notice, If uh, even if they're there longer. I, I think a lodger, you know, I'm not quite sure um, what the notice is. I think, is it 30 days, Jessica? For yeah, it's... it's the same as whatever their payment period is. So, um, but so yeah. if yeah, so if it's a, if they're paying monthly, it would be thirty days. I don't know the code section, the civil code section off the top of my head, but the California Department of Real Estate has a uh, landlord tenant resource book on their website. Okay, and, and would that also be governed by uh, SF Rent Board? Yes, because uh, that is a state law. And okay. the rent board cannot, it, because it's local, it cannot um, override that. Right. Okay. Okay, I'll look it up under Lodger. I'll, I'll, I'll take that direction. Hey, thank you. That's, uh, that's good information. I appreciate it. Paul, thanks for joining us in your legal rights. Let me ask a right. follow-up to, to Paul's questions. Paul asked about renting out this non-permitted auxiliary dwelling unit, and you talked about steps he could take to get it permitted. But as a non-complying unit or a unit that's not permitted, so technically an illegal unit, can they still be registered with the rent board in San Francisco? Um, if, if the landlord rents it out, then the rent board will put its controls over it. Um, does it have to be, it probably still needs to be registered. You're talking about the San Francisco 
uh, rent boards housing registry uh, where landlords have gotten notices that um, owners with uh, buildings that have 10 or more units have to start reporting this year and last and next year um, March 1st the landlords who have fewer than 10 units in a building um, will have to start reporting and then annual reports thereafter I think yes if there's a if you rent a, if a landlord rents out an unpermitted uh, auxiliary dwelling unit or ADU whether that be a downstairs in-law or a garden unit or in the in the yard or something like that um, I think they have to register them as well because the point is to report what you're renting and what your income is and the tenants that live there, et cetera, so forth. Let me turn it to Bob from San Francisco. You're on your legal rights. Welcome. Oh, hi there. Bob, uh, welcome. You. You're on the air. Oh, well, thank you so much. Um, thanks for taking the call. So um, I'm a very small landlord uh, in the city of Sacramento, uh, but I reside in San Francisco. Um, there's an upstairs residential unit. There's a downstairs commercial unit. During COVID, me and Mr. Residential Unit did great together. We compromised. We worked together. We did all the right stuff. We kept him housed. You know, I took the hit, but he made it up later. He did some self-improvements along the way. You know, everything was hunky-dunky with him. Downstairs commercial guy hid from all hid behind all the moratoriums, and then... When the moratoriums were lifted, finally, you know, hid meaning he uh, paid 10% of the rent, 20% of the rent, 30% of the rent, whatever, which was his right. Um, then, uh, you know, the moratoriums get lifted and he's uh, meant to be paying full rent, which he steps up and does. But there's the arrears rent of almost 20K sitting there. Um, and he's abiding by the rules now, the laws, meaning he's paying full rent mostly on time. I can live with that. Uh, but there's these arrears, and I, I've offered him every possible, so every possible, what do you call it, compromise and uh, transparent support and effort and a payment plan and uh, percentages up front or, you know, adding on to his rent for the next year or two. And, you know, what, a million different scenarios. I've offered free marketing help to help his business. Uh, you know, I, I feel like I've done everything and, you know, everything. I'm just wondering how to get those careers back. Sorry to be long-winded. <laughs> well, I don't practice in Sacramento, but I think we're talking about a, a civil lawsuit for breach of contract because the rent is still owed. It's just whether or not you can get possession back. What do you think, David? Uh yeah, but isn't this a case where he could go to small claims court if he wanted to? Uh, I, I, is that limited to residential or does it include commercial? Because he's talking about the commercial unit. Yeah, the commercial unit. The small claims is 10K max. Um, uh, and with the, they've actually you know, um, uh, increased it from 5K in order to help landlords. Um, and if it's a COVID case, you can go small claims for up to 10. He's at about 20. So is it just a civil suit to sue him to get the money? And I, I think it would be, but since neither David nor I practices in San Francisco, or I'm sorry, in Sacramento regularly, and it, the law is governed by the place where the property is, 
you should mm -hmm. probably consult with an attorney who, do, who does this work in San right. Sacramento. I, I, I can tell you this, though. Um, I have a similar case going in uh, the city of San Mateo right now, uh, which is uh, a health, uh, health studio, and he's paying full rent uh, now, but he, um, he owes over $100,000 of rent from the COVID period. Which, yeah. he, uh, which he's refused to pay. And so we filed a civil suit not to evict him because he's paying the current rent and the landlord doesn't want to evict him. But we're Yeah, I'm okay with him. his, yeah, the devil I know versus the devil I don't know renting um, because he's paying, but I just got to get that back. That right. there's a real so you have to hire a local attorney in Sacramento to file a lawsuit against him to collect uh, that amount. Unfortunately, yeah, so just... I, I normally like to refer somebody who's been calling from an outside the area to the lawyer referral service. Unfortunately, right now, Sacramento County is the San Mateo County Bar. I'm sorry, the Sacramento County Bar is not operating a lawyer referral service at this time. But you can call close by some resources you might look to or the Sacramento County Law Library or the Lawyer Referral Service of the San Joaquin County Bar Association, which is as close as you would get. Oh, okay. Just kind of go as close as I can get demographically. And then there's if you uh, If you go to the Sacramento County Bar website, which is S-A-C-B-A-R dot O-R-G, on the front yep. page, it does have a link where you can click on it for for finding a lawyer, finding legal help. And while the Sacramento County Bar Association doesn't operate a lawyer referral service at this point, it does have local services. I s strongly recommend you can you consider lo uh, looking to the either the pro bono or nonprofit rather than some of the more commercialized ones. Uh, but they have a, a number of resources on their website that might be of help. Oh, that's a good lead. And then, of course, there's debt collection, which isn't a legal process, right? But it's just a it's just a turn it over and lose thirty percent, right? Well, it can be. Uh, it can also also quickly become a legal process. Yeah, right. <laughs> if I turn them over to debt collection, exactly. Yeah. So there's both expenses. Well, well, great. I'm so pleased I was able to, I listen to you guys all the time. But, uh, uh, awesome listener, first-time caller. So thanks for everything you do and your time in the community. We appreciate it. Bob, You're thank welcome. you very much. Thank you for joining us on Your Legal Rights. Thank okay, you. cheers. Yeah, bye. And, and I guess what I want to end the show with, I'd like to give you guys a couple minutes for any closing thoughts. But before we get there, do we know yet what changes we're looking forward to at the start of the new year? Well, I know that in San Francisco, the San Francisco uh, Rent Board's fiscal year starts March 1st, so they will be publishing their uh, next year's rent authorized rent increase amounts. Um, again, there will be reporting for smaller landlords, properties with 10 units, residential units or fewer. That will be required March 1st as well. Um, the you have the landlords have to file with the rent with this housing registry in order to get a license to put through their rent increases. So if the landlord does not register and does a rent increase, the tenant doesn't have to pay it. 
Mm-hmm. Well, I think uh, outside of, of the rent control jurisdictions like San Francisco, um, I think is going to be uh, my prediction is that if if um, the anti-price gouging limit of the 10% is lifted in February, then there's going to be a push in the local municipalities and the counties to restrict the uh, uh, rent increases to an amount uh, less than 10%. Uh, because otherwise, like right now, it's theoretically could be 5% uh, in, uh, over... An 8% CPI, that's a 13% increase. And there's going to be a lot of public sentiment against allowing that kind of an increase. And usually politicians do uh, uh, lean toward the public sentiment. So I think there's likelihood that there'll be more uh, rent control uh, initiated next year. That's my prediction. I think you may be right on that because, you know, the, the, the state is taking a beating on its public image with homelessness and that sort of thing. And, the, you know, the legislature is making it a, a focus to make sure people stay who have housing stay housed. And to that end, one of the things you brought up earlier, actually just moments ago, talked about the auxiliary dwelling units and how cities such as, uh, David, you gave the example of Redwood City, are more tolerant of them and actually encouraging them now. Do you find that the cities in the Bay Area, perhaps throughout the state, are those building codes for ADUs been relaxed to encourage more ADUs to be offered as rental units? And is that going to continue into next year? Well, I I don't know if the local building codes have been relaxed, um, but um, in a way... Uh, for example, like in Redwood City and also in San Mateo, where the, the city is allowing conversions of garages into ADUs, and the, you know they were previously they were taking the position you had to have covered parking. So now, so the issue with converting the garage, it's not that difficult to convert it. It doesn't cost that much money. It's really a good idea, but you can't enforce that you have to have covered parking because where do you put the cover on, you know, now they're parking. There usually is enough space in the driveway to park, but it's not covered. So the cities are relaxing their standards in terms of uh, uh, covered parking. And and, and, and that goes along with a statewide relaxation. I I just heard that there was a statewide, uh, building uh, uh, code uh, that was passed a few weeks ago uh, that if you're within a certain uh, certain uh, area of close to like BART or Caltrain or other public transportation, that it's possible for a developer to uh, be allowed to uh, build uh, residential apartments with no parking. And I, you know, that was a little bit of a shock to me. But I think that's where we're going. And, and I think that's a good, I, to me, that's a good way to encourage 
more building, allow garages to be converted, allow uh, limited or even no parking uh, apartments that are, I mean, look at San Francisco. How many no parking apartments are there? I mean, probably the majority of them, right? I mean, Actually, no, we have older building codes that still require a lot of parking. And it's, you know, it's it's sort of anachronistic these days in a big, in a city where there's good transit. Yeah, certainly in the city, they should allow uh, limit, uh, minimum or no parking, at least in my opinion, if they want to uh, provide more housing. And the conversion of the garage is really easy. It's an easy fix. Um doesn't cost a lot of money and you could have a family uh, living in the garage. Uh, sounds reasonable to me. Certainly beats them living on the street or in their car. Yeah. California has certainly taken the beating nationally and publicly about its homelessness issue and, and, and its housing stock issue. The last question I have, and we only have about 30 seconds, but I did want to ask something that came to mind when Emily joined us, and that is we've talked a lot about the status of evicting tenants who are who are defaulting in their rent. What's the current status of evicting nuisance tenants? Uh, we, we still have been able to do it, but it has to be, you know, like Jessica was talking about, can't be something that happened six months ago. It, it's got to be more like a continuing nuisance uh, where, um, you know, we've evicted uh, tenants for smoking marijuana for, and it's continuing uh, despite warnings and um, uh, uh, other uh, loud parties where the police have been called m- multiple times. Uh, yeah, and and certainly threats to the landlord or threats to other tenants, you could evict for that. At least that's what I'm finding. I agree. You've been listening to Your Legal Rights on KALW 91.7 FM, San Francisco Bay Area, where we focus tonight on what's new in landlord-tenant law. Our guests have been landlord-tenant attorneys extraordinaire, Jessica Chilek of San Francisco and David Finkelstein of San Mateo. Our final guest tonight has been all of you. Our show next week, we will feature one of our greats. Please be sure to join your legal rights for an evening with Tony Sarah. Best of all, as always, we will take your calls. A big thanks to tonight's guests, Jessica Chalik and David Finkelstein. And back at the controls, Joanne Marr. I'm Jeff Hayden. Be safe and have a good night. <laughs>